Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. It is good to see everyone that is here today. As always, it's good to see guests in the audience. It's good to see um, family members of different people traveling in the town and being around for the holiday. As Curtis already mentioned, you know, this is an exciting time right now because we're going back to Bible camp. Now, if th- maybe that's not anything big to you, but I eat, breathe, and sleep Bible camp, and I didn't know what to do with myself last summer when it got shut down. But so, like, I mean, I've been planning this and thinking about this and losing sleep over this and waking up my family about it and all that kind of stuff for the last, like, two years. And in fact, as soon as we leave here, we're going to get packed up and head up to camp and get some stuff set up with some of the other staff. And camp now starts on Monday. So that is totally awesome. So keep praying for that. If you're going up and being a part of that, we're glad that you are. If you're not able to go up there but you donated toward that, thank you very much. It is truly a congregational effort, even though not everybody in the church can go up there. I understand that. It is something that we all are part of as a team here, and it is probably the work that we do that has the biggest impact on on the church, the future of the church, and all of that. So I want to thank you for being part of that and making that happen because it is going to go down starting today and tomorrow. So that's announcement number one. Announcement number two, it's also Independence Day. And for those that aren't going up to camp early, in the parking lot at 7 p.m. tonight, um, Steve Cole is going to bring his grill, fire it up, and cook some hamburgers. You can bring some sides and some drinks. And we're going to have fireworks in the church parking lot. Bring your own fireworks. Make sure they're legal and unmodified, (laughs) that kind of thing. Um, But So be down here 7 o'clock tonight for that. Um, And don't burn the church down. And um, we'll have that get together here tonight. So we're excited about that. Also, with it being, you know, the 4th of July, I didn't plan a a particularly, like, Independence Day-oriented sermon or anything like that. But what I wanted to do... Before I got into our lesson this morning, I want to read one passage, and I want us to spend a moment in prayer, because as we do think about our country, um, I I am thankful very much that we are in a place that doesn't have intense religious persecution. I have brothers and sisters, and you do too, in different parts of this world right now that are having to worship in in secret and hiding because of, of fear of persecution. I'm thankful we have the freedom to be able to assemble like this today. I'm thankful that we have that in this country. And I do know that the Bible mentions that we should pray for those in positions of authority in our countries. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and for all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So although we have the privilege of, of course, being able to assemble like this today in our nation, we know that that might not always be the case. So we want to go to God right now in prayer, thanking him for that blessing and asking for that blessing to continue. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you are an amazing God and you've blessed us immensely. We know that the ability to be able to assemble and worship without fear of of persecution right now in this place is a blessing. And we pray that we do not take that for granted. We pray that our country will continue to better itself, to continue to be a place where um, freedom and liberty and and love and loving your neighbor and all of that is is at the forefront. We pray for um, those in positions of power. We pray for our local leaders, our mayors, our, our city councils. We pray for our governors. We pray for our Congress, for our Senate, for our Supreme Court. 
We pray for our president that all the things that we do in this country will allow us to further your cause and it will not stand in the way of your mission. And Father, even if those things do change, we pray that we will never waver in our obedience to you and our desire to love our neighbor, to love you, and to preach your gospel. It's through Jesus we pray, amen. All right, so this morning, though, what I want us to look at is the idea of faithfulness. And I've been thinking about this word, faithful. How do we define, okay, well, it means you, you have it, or you're a believer, or you have faith. I, I get that on the most basic sense. But what does faithfulness look like? You know, I can think of different times in my life where I had to make transitions to a greater level of faith. I was thinking in my, about my early adulthood. I remember there was a time, probably 19 and 20, where I was like, okay, I really want to take following Jesus seriously. I mean, I always believed in God. I always knew what was right. I always knew what was wrong and, and that kind of stuff. But I was like, okay, I need to really, you know, get this nailed down and do what I need to do. And I can remember specifically certain changes that I made in my life to make sure that I was, quote, unquote, faithful. One of the things I did was is I made a commitment that I would always be at church. It's a good commitment. I, I wouldn't miss services. I'd be there when we had Bible classes. I'd be involved in every event, every activity, and all that. I thought if I could just get involved as much as I possibly could, then I would be faithful. And I, I did that, you know, for the most part. I remember thinking, okay, I need to make sure that I don't fill my mind with things that, that are negative, that are ungodly, and so on. So I remember, this is back when we had CDs. I went through my CD collection, and I said, okay, I got to get rid of this one. I got to get rid of this one. This is a bunch of bad words. This is talking inappropriately. And I remember going through, we had, we had binders back then with CDs in them, if you didn't know what that was. If you're older than me, you're, you might not have CDs yet. But anyway, I got rid of all of those, and I thought, I got to get rid of these because they are not helping me be faithful. I tried to clean up a lot of actions that I previously were engaged in that I now said, you know what? These don't help me to be faithful. And I did that. But at the same time, I can look back at my life at that time and go, you know, there was a lot of things I, I didn't fix. I, I got rid of a bunch of actions out of my life that were, weren't good, but my thought process stayed the same. The way I viewed the world was, was the same. How my mind operated was the same. And I was thinking through this idea, and the conclusion I want us to come to today, and we're kind of working this sermon backwards, a little bit, is that when it comes to actually being faithful, it's not just about getting rid of the unfaithful actions in our life. It's not about just don't do these things and do these things. Because I tried to make Christianity very narrow that way. I said, okay, Christianity is about always going to church and not lie, cheating, stealing, and cussing. It's kind of what I came up with. And I was like, okay, that means I'm, I'm faithful. But real faith is bigger than that. Real faith begins and ends in our hearts. It's so much more than just the actions we engage in. When I use the word heart this morning, I'm actually kind of using it synonymously with our brain and our thoughts too and that kind of idea. When the Bible talks about heart, it's usually also talking about, you know, our, our mind. But I can think about the fact that I stopped listening to that, those, that music that said all those things that I shouldn't listen to. But you know what? I still thought those thoughts. 
maybe I didn't use that language anymore, but man, my mind was cussing someone out when I was mad at them, even though maybe I wasn't articulating it. Maybe I stopped going to movies that were, you know, showing inappropriate content, but I still had lustful thoughts. See, the idea of faithfulness is so much more than don't engage in different actions. Maybe you're like me in this. I, may, I, I don't think I'm alone in it. That we have certain actions lined up right, but our thoughts are not where they should be. We might not violently attack somebody, but we have hatred and contempt in our mind for them. We might not articulate a, a prejudiced word, but we have bigoted thoughts. We might not ever say we don't love our neighbor, but deep down inside we view them with contempt. We might not ever steal from somebody, but we have greed and envy and covetousness inside of us. Real faithfulness is so much more than just the actions we engage in. Maybe let's put it a little bit more plainly. You can fool others and you can fool yourself. We can fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. I could get rid of all those CDs, but God's hearing the thoughts that I'm singing in my mind, right? I could stop watching all those inappropriate films and things, but God knows the thoughts that I have when I see somebody of the opposite sex. I could get rid of, you know, violently acting out or cussing out somebody or all of that, but God hears what I'm thinking in my mind. I could go to church every Sunday holding a songbook in my hand, paying attention to the sermon, putting money in the offering plate, and have my heart far from it. We can fool others, but we can't fool God. So what I want us to see today is this. Real faith begins and ends with our hearts and our minds, our hearts and our thoughts. It's so much more than just the actions we do. Cleaning up the actions is good. Nothing wrong with that. We should do that. But that's very elementary in our thinking. It's, it's childish. With my children when they're little, I'll teach them, don't do that. Maybe it's, you must uh, wash your hands before you eat. And we tell them to do that. A two-year-old doesn't understand that concept, but they know that's the action I'm supposed to do, so I do that. But we want them to mature to a point where they have a desire for personal cleanliness, avoiding germs, and proper hygiene, right? That's when you grow up into it. We had to be reminded apparently the last two years that we have to wash our hands. There's posters everywhere now that tell us that, but we, we learned that back when we are two. But it's very elementary in our thinking, juvenile in our thinking as adults, if all we ever do is try to fix the actions and not the thoughts. So let me prove this idea to you this morning that real faith begins and ends with our hearts and our thoughts. And I want us to look at a passage, Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And there's a, a whole interaction here of Jesus and those who are challenging him, the Pharisees and the scribes. And I want us to walk through this passage, and then we're going to make some practical application that I think we all need. I'm not the only one, I think, that struggles with getting our thoughts and heart in the right place. Maybe we got our actions lined up, but our mind and heart isn't where it should be. So let's read together. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, now, if you're new to the Bible, let me explain what's going on here. The book of Matthew tells the story of Jesus, and it's a biography of him. This is during the time before Jesus went to the cross and died. 
He's on earth, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing miracles. Some people followed him and believed him. They're often called his disciples. Others, though, challenged him and wanted to see him killed, wanted him to go away, didn't like it because he told them to change. And people don't like being told to change. Some of these people that were the most heated adversaries of Jesus were the Pharisees and scribes. The scribes were people that copied the old law, studied it. They were very much experts in the Old Testament. The Pharisees were experts in the Old Testament, but also the teachings of various Jewish rabbis or, or religious teachers. And they would often require things of people that Jesus didn't require. They would make you feel really guilty. They were often very hypocritical in their religion. And they gave Jesus a lot of problems. So let's read. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So they're from the, the high up religious city too, Jerusalem. So these are some important guys. They come to Jesus and they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? The Pharisees are really big in the tradition. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. There is a special way that they would wash. And the disciples didn't do that. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He says, look, you guys are always caught up in these traditions, and you're not even actually following God. And then he gives some examples. He says, you know, for example, the Bible says in Exodus 10 commandments, honor your father and mother. He who speaks evil or father and mother is to be put to death. That is a Bible command, honor your father and mother. Well, the Pharisees and the scribes, what they would do, according to verse 6 and so on in verse 5, is they would, instead of helping mom and dad, they would go, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you because I've already dedicated that money to God. And that, that's hypocritical. That's using religion as a way to neglect people. If someone comes up to you and goes, my family's starving, I need some help, can you give us some food? And we know it's a legitimate need and all of that, we go, I'm sorry, I already plan on putting 20 bucks in the offering plate at church, I can't feed you. That, that's wrong. It's an excuse. And that's kind of what they would do here. So Jesus um, calls them out on this. He says, you invalidate God for the sake of your tradition, verse 6. Then in verse 7, he says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So they would, they would teach what God didn't teach, and they would bind it on people. They would actually ignore what God wanted them to do. They would come to worship and be in vain worshiping God. They had the actions right on the surface, but what was the problem? Their heart was far from him. We can do the same thing. Maybe our sin doesn't look the same way. Maybe we're not binding religious tradition from elders on people, and we're not neglecting our mothers and fathers because we claim that we're giving the money to God. Maybe we are. If we are, we need to change. But we do the same thing. We will have the actions on the surface looking cleaned up and polished. We got our church clothes on. We got our Bible underneath our arm. You know, how many of us jokingly have talked about before that you can have arguments with your family, chaos in the car, and all of a sudden the door's shut in the parking lot, and you look like a Christian, and you walk on into the church building, you know, faking it. That, that's kind of what's going on here. You have individuals that are requiring God is not required. They're hypocritical. They're unloving. They're unkind. They're neglecting their parents, and yet they're offering their hands to God in worship. What's that? Vain worship. Hypocrisy. Why? Because he says, their heart is far from me. But they're doing the right thing, right on the surface. I mean, we worship God. 
We don't lie, cheat, and steal, hopefully. We don't murder people. We're nice people. We pay our taxes and recycle, all those kinds of things, right? But yet, our heart is far from him. In vain, they were worshiping. And let's keep going. Jesus called the crowd to him. So after he lays this out, imagine the crowd, he got their attention because he just rebuked their religious leaders, told them they were worshiping in vain, told them they were invalidating the command of God, and that they were neglecting mom and dad. That's pretty big rebuke. So he calls the crowd to him, and he says to them, hear and understand. Listen up, guys. I want, I want to teach you. He says, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the man, this defiles the man. Remember, this whole dialogue started with what? These religious leaders pointing a finger at Jesus' disciples because they were not washing their hands the right way. You know, I've been told before that you need to train your kids to sing happy birthday when washing their hands or something like that because it gives them the right amount of time. The Pharisees had their standard, and the disciples didn't keep to their standard. And because of that, the Pharisees were saying, unfaithful, unclean, you know, unrighteous, pointing a finger at him. So Jesus says, look, it's not about what you put in your body. Just because you ate food with unwashed hands does not mean you're a horrible person. Okay, that's kind of what he lays out there. He goes, it's not what goes into the person that defiles them, but what comes out of the man. Now, Jesus intentionally here uses some bathroom terms, okay? He's designing this to be an attention getter. What goes into your mouth, that, that's not what defiles you. What defiles you is the reason why we have, you know, closed doors on bathrooms, that kind of stuff, right? That's the stuff that's, that's yucky. That's the stuff that's defiling. The disciples, after Jesus said this, they came up to him and said, Jesus, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? When you made such a statement, yeah, well, that went against their Pharisee sensibilities a little bit. You, you don't make those kinds of illustrations, which there's a lot of those illustrations in Scripture. But so Jesus said this. The disciples come to Jesus and go, the Pharisees were offended. Big whoop, the Pharisees get offended at everything. But the Pharisees were offended at what you said. And then Jesus says this. Every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant will be uprooted. The Pharisees weren't planted by God. The way they were acting, what they were teaching, how they were living, that's not from God. That's from men. That's false religion. That's false doctrine. That's wrong, right? He says, let them alone. Ignore them. They are blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. I, I like this scene because here you have self-righteous, hypocritical Pharisees and scribes over here that are making everybody feel awful because they're requiring things of them that God didn't require, and they are so unloving that they're using religion as an excuse to neglect their own parents. That's the most ungodly thing I can think of, right? Especially even in that culture, too. But he says, and then they come, the disciples go, don't you know you offended them? Jesus goes, so? And really, he does. He says, leave them alone. Want to know why? Because they are blind guides leading the blind. They cannot see the truth, and they're leading other people that can't see the truth into a pit. Ignore them. Get away from them. They are leading you astray. They're going to be uprooted. And earlier in Matthew, he talked about uprooting things, acts on the root of the trees, judgment. Matthew chapter 3, I think some of that terminology. 
is there. So now verse 15, Peter comes to him, he goes, well, okay, Jesus, I still want to know the parable. Because wait, remember a few verses back, Jesus said, not what comes in, but what comes out defiles you. We don't normally call that a parable, but Peter did. So Peter goes, Jesus, explain to us again what you were trying to tell us with that kind of crass parable you gave. Jesus says, verse 16, are you still lacking in understanding also? You don't get it, do you, is what he's saying. He says, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? He gives a little lesson in digestion a little bit here. He goes, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. Oh, so Jesus, you're not actually talking about the whole digestive process. What you're saying is this. It's not about the food that you put in your body, but about what you send out of your body in the way of words and thoughts and actions. He says, verse 15, or verse 18, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Whoa, so it's not just about fixing what you say, but if your heart is defiled, if your mind is defiled, if your thoughts are wrong, then what you say, what you do, will be defiled. It will be gross. It will be yuck. It will be nasty. It will be sinful. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slander. What is he saying? He's saying, look, all those things that you would claim you never did. I don't kill anyone. Yeah, but you know what? In your heart, you do. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus would lay that out? He says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder, but I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother, you know that kind of idea? It starts in the heart. Yeah, but I would never cheat on my spouse. Yeah, but from your heart, you're checking out a whole bunch of people. From your heart, you're viewing pornography on a computer screen. From your heart, you're looking at that coworker. From the heart, that sin happens. That adultery, that fornication, that theft. Maybe you would never steal, but man, you greedy. You hate that other people have a blessing and you wish them ill will because they have it. Came from the heart. Verse 20. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. They were so caught up in, you got to wash your hands right. You got to wash your hands right. They were having dirty, polluted, nasty, defiled hearts. Thinking about my own life, there's times where I made sure my hands were washed, but my heart was still dirty. And I bet all of us would probably say the same thing. We can clean up the outside, just as Jesus would later say to the Pharisees, you're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside is beautiful. I mean, you walk into a cemetery and you look at like a, a beautiful like tomb or mausoleum or something like that and they, they got the statues on it and they got a little cherub here and an angel here and it's white and it's marble and you want to go look at it. What's inside? A rotting corpse. Really? And that's kind of the idea here. But your hands are so clean. You're eating food with the most clean hands you can possibly think of. What you're putting in your body is so perfect. Yeah but inside you're rotten and what comes out of you 
is rotten. Right? We can do that. I go to church. I give. I sing. I pray. I, I, I play the part well. On the service, I look the way I'm supposed to look. Our family's all polished and everything looks together. But on the inside, it could be falling apart. On the inside, you could be defiled. Real faith begins and ends in our hearts and our thoughts. And here's the deal. That's scary. Think about it. That's scary. Because I can get through actions and, and pretty much look like a Christian supposed to look. But God, who searches the hearts of men, can look inside of me and he knows the thoughts that I'm having. He knows the thoughts that are going through my mind at any time of day. He knows how I view other people. He knows how I view him. He knows how I view faithfulness. He knows how I view good deeds. He knows everything. That's a scary thought. So what do we do? Because, I mean, all of us would have to admit that we're all guilty of this. If I mean, all of us are. Our thoughts are not always what they should be. Our heart is not always in the right place. And we would all, even just on a most basic sense, would admit that there's probably Sundays where we show up at church and we don't even want to be there. Which it happens. I, there's times I don't want to be here. I'll be honest, right? There's times my thoughts aren't where they should be. There's times where I'm smiling and shaking hands and I'm not thinking nice thoughts. There's times where I'm looking holy, but my mind is unholy. How do we fix that? What do we do to make that better? First off, of course, acknowledging it is the key. I mean, if we always say, oh, no, my thoughts are never wrong, then, yeah, you're already lost. Okay, but I think all of us, the reason we're here is because all of us realize that we're not perfect and we need Jesus who is. That's why we're here. We get that. At least I hope we all do. That's why I'm here. Because I need Jesus, I need you, and I think together we need each other and we all need God. But how do we fix this issue as human beings, not just scribes and Pharisees, but us today, you know, whatever label we want to put on ourselves, how do we work to fix that? Actions are easy. I could throw out all of those CDs that I had, but the thoughts were still in my mind. I could no longer go to an R-rated movie but because I wanted to avoid the temptation of maybe looking at someone inappropriately, but the lust could still be there. How do we fix that? What we have to work to do is we have to allow God to shape our hearts into alignment with his. And that's a challenge. And that is a life long goal. That is a process that is never ending. That is an ongoing lifestyle where we say, I'm going to change the way I think. Not just changing my actions. I'm going to actually change the way I think. I'm going to allow God to shape my mind, to shape my part or my heart so I no longer view people the way I once did, but I view them the way that he does. That's the change that separates the faithful from the unfaithful is inside out. Think about what Paul would say to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians 4, and onward, and Paul loves this kind of idea. We finished Galatians on Wednesday night, remember? Same kind of thought. He says, but put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So putting off our old self, getting rid of the way we used to live, isn't just stopping actions, but desires. Think about that. That's a change that takes place in the, you know, the subconscious level. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, which I love that too, by the way, because our theme this year, renew, right? Renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We can no longer say, well, that's just how I am. No. It's not about how Cliff is anymore. It's about how God is and how I want to be like him. Well, that's just how my mind works. No, that's not good enough. I need to have my mind renewed and changed so that my desires line up with God's. And at verse 23, I came across another translation. I like the way they said this. It said, let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. You were created to be like God, and so you must please him and be truly holy. Quit fighting it. God wants to change our hearts, but we fight it all the time. We say, no, 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 I'm not going to change that. That's just how I am. Stop fighting it. Allow God to change you. You know, Paul would say the same thing later in Romans chapter 12. After he talks about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your, you know, your reasonable service, that idea. He says, but be transformed. Change. God requires change, but not just change in our actions, but change in our hearts by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The way we fix this problem, which is universal to all mankind, is renewal. It's allowing God to renew our hearts, to renew our desires, to renew our minds, where we no longer think the way we used to think, but instead we think like Jesus. That's when we can say faithfulness is around. That's when we can start claiming faithfulness because real faith begins and ends not with our actions, but in our minds, in our hearts, and in our thoughts. The lesson is yours this morning. Let's allow today to change us. Let's allow God to change us throughout our lives. Let's live a life of constant renewal, excuse me, renewal, where we renew our hearts and minds to be more like him. We're gonna be closing out here in a song in just a second. Let me encourage you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we wanna help you become one. Talk to one of us afterwards. We'll get you plugged into a Bible study. We'll baptize you into Jesus Christ. When you're ready to do that, we'll pray with you. We'll do what needs to be done. If you've strayed away and you need help, talk to one of us afterwards. If you just want to learn more, you want someone to lean upon you, go, you know what? I need to get my thoughts in alignment. Can you help me? We're all trying together to do that. We're not claiming to be perfect. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.